wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Welcome to Bleeding Daylight. Please connect with us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Find the links at bleedingdaylight.net. Your ratings and reviews help others discover Bleeding Daylight. Please take a few moments to share this episode so that others hear about light in the midst of darkness. In just a moment, I'll introduce you to a remarkable woman who has battled severe mental illness and is now helping others. Susan Johnson is passionate about helping to break the stigma of living with a mental illness. She's the author of Some Dreams Are Worth Keeping, a memoir of my bipolar journey. She co-leads a mental health group at her church and is an inspirational speaker. Susan joins me on Bleeding Daylight today to share some of her story. Susan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here with you today. Susan, I'm, I'm wondering if you can take me back to the time that you realized that you were living with a mental illness. I would say growing up, I dealt with great anxiety, especially separation anxiety from my mother. She would leave for work and I would have my father, who was a little bit more strict than mom, taking care of me. And I just remember crying for hours and hours on end. And I was a very overly sensitive child. And as I grew, I started to have more anxiety and a little bit of paranoia in middle school. Then high school hit and I had a great time in high school. But at the end, I started to get depressed. My parents realized that and they took me to my first psychologist and I was able to work through the depression. At that point, after high school, I went on a cruise and experienced mania for the very first time. In those early years, I guess that sort of anxiety that you were feeling, that separation anxiety and all the rest, you would have just considered that this is normal. So it it would just be this is part of growing up until you realize that those around you were not experiencing that. Yes, for sure. On the cruise, I just got about as high as one can get. It's And people ask what mania is like, and it's higher than any drug anybody can possibly be on. I found myself dancing on tables and drinking, and I was never a big drinker. I was going down the water slide in 50-degree water. I had all the world's problems answered in my journal and I couldn't sleep at night. My mother is a nurse, so she knew exactly what was going on after the cruise because my uncle has bipolar disorder and it's a genetic illness. For those who really don't understand what that word means, can you just give us a thumbnail sketch of of what bipolar is actually about? Bipolar disorder is a mood disorder. It's a chemical imbalance in the brain which causes euphoric highs known as manias, which I was just sharing with you, and devastating lows to the point of suicide. It can be treated with medication. So once your mother has identified that there's something happening here and has taken you to get help, what's the prognosis for you? What's the direction forward? At that point, 
you know, when you're in mania, you don't think anything is wrong. You know, why do I need to go to the doctor? I'm fine. Well, I was very fortunate because my mother was able to find a psychiatrist who agreed to treat me in his office. And at that point, he started me on lithium and I agreed to take it. And did that help balance things out? What does the lithium actually do? Yeah, it helps with your mood and it takes you to the point where you're even, not too high and not too low. So you're talking about these these huge swings. Sometimes you have these incredible highs and sometimes you have these incredible lows. And sometimes when people are talking about bipolar, they say, oh, look, in that manic phase, you, you have this incredible creativity, you, you have this incredible high. Is that for real or is that just... I believe I have this creativity. As you said, you you had answered the world's problems in your journal. Is it just that you believe that to be the case or, or, or is there a sense of creativity that comes in those moments? I've got some great poetry. And in my book, I actually use my journals to give the readers, you know, a look inside my brain as to what it's like to have mania and to be in that. Can you give us some understanding, the sort of understanding that you put into that book of of what it is actually like? How do you go from that low to that high? Where does that switch come in? Does it just automatically happen where you, you're going from feeling low to high or, or is there a, a, a continuum that, that takes you there? What, what's that like? Well, there is something called a mixed mania. And that's where you can go from crying to laughing in about two minutes. And that is not a fun place to be. But at other times in my life, I experienced highs and then some deep, deep depressions. But it was also a seasonal thing. I was living in the Midwest at the time and going to college. So I would have my manias or my highs during the summer. The depressions came in the winter when there was a lot more darkness. So how is life progressing for you at this stage? As you're battling this mental illness, still trying to get on with life, what did life look like for you? I do very well because of the self-care that I experience. I take my medicine daily. I surrender to it, needing it like the oxygen we need to breathe. I'm blessed. I get to work in an elementary school, which was my dream growing up. I have worked with special education students for the past 14 years, and I love my job. I have been married for almost 15 years to the man of my dreams. I work very hard at having a great support network and having a great faith that just keeps me going on a day-to-day basis. I want to ask about this wonderful husband of yours because (laughs) I know it can't be easy for anyone living with someone who is going through a mental illness because you're struggling enough on your own, but I guess your husband is having to walk alongside you and say, you know, it doesn't matter where you're at, I'm going to love you through this. I'm sure that that raises some difficulties within that relationship. Yeah. And, you know, I had to bring it up after the first couple months. And that was a hard conversation, as you can imagine, because I knew I wanted to marry him right away. 
And I didn't know how he would feel when I told him that I had bipolar disorder. And it was a remarkable conversation. If you saw me, I'd have tears in my eyes right now. He told me that he loved me and that it didn't matter. That was amazing. And in a world where we sometimes still stigmatize mental illness, that must have been incredibly affirming for you to know that this man loves me no matter what. It is. It's a beautiful thing. I I feel very grateful for it each and every day. Once you started receiving treatment, you've mentioned this medication. What other treatment have you received along the way that has helped with these highs and lows for you? I have a wonderful therapist that has helped me. Definitely during the times that I was in college back in about 1995, And my psychologist, um, known as Dr. Ziggy, if you read my book, gave me all the tools that I needed to have success with bipolar disorder. And she just walked with me and I would not be here without her today. And my parents have also been uh, just an amazing support for me in my life. So I'm very blessed. I consider myself a blessed bipolar. Tell me about the understanding that you seem to experience from other people around mental illness. You've you've said that you want to help others who are going through a, a mental illness journey. What are the things that you collectively come up against in, in the world with the stigma that, that is sometimes attached to, to this kind of illness? It's hard. You know, it, it's almost, it still feels like a dirty little secret at times. I want to show people that I'm stable. So that's very, very important to me. You know, I've chosen to be so open about it. And I've actually found that the more open I am about my mental illness, more people are open to me and willing to talk about it. And I realize that I am not alone in this world living with this. I guess that's the big thing too, is that in the same way that you've wanted to hide it in the past, there's obviously a lot of people that are feeling that same way and suddenly they're given license to say, you know what, I'm suffering with that too. How freeing is that for people to finally be able to say, you know what, this is a secret that I've lived with all this time and and now I'm getting the keys to get help. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal and I consider it a privilege to be able to share my story uh, with with people like you, with your listeners, and it's wonderful. I know that it made your studying hard. Tell me about your studies and what you were able to achieve. So I had a dream in elementary school to be an elementary school teacher, and college was very, very, very difficult. I went to five colleges in four and a half years. And at the end, I finally had help because of my diagnosis. I was able to get extra, extra amount of time on my tests and note takers. I was able to get the accommodations and the support from professors to be able to graduate at the time. And stress sets off bipolar disorder. So it was very hard to medicate me and to just motivate me to keep going. But that psychologist that I mentioned uh, was my godsend throughout the entire thing. And I did graduate, graduated with a BA in sociology. My dream had to change, however, because I did not 
I was not able to get my teaching credentials because of the stress that teachers are under. So my dream changed and my psychologist said, hey, you know, there are other ways to get involved in working with children in schools. So you need to look at other opportunities. And I'm really glad she did that. I mentioned that you spend a fair bit of time in helping others who are battling mental illness. It must be incredibly inspiring for them to hear the journey that you've gone on when so much of the world would tend to say those with a mental illness aren't able to achieve to the same level. For you to be able to say, well, no, I went through college. I was able to achieve the degree that I was looking for. How inspiring is that for others? It's overwhelming at times. I write for a mental health magazine uh, called BP Hope, which stands for Bipolar Hope. And I blog monthly. And it's amazing to hear, to get feedback from other people living with mental illness saying, you know, your, your writing has inspired me. It's just so rewarding. And of course, you went on to write your book. Tell me about the process of that. When did you decide that I want to put this down in book form? I decided right after I got married. I had this great idea. I'm going to go write a book. I had no idea how to do that. So I live in Las Vegas and I found a workshop at a casino that was being offered. I bought a book on how to write a memoir. And I went home and I was ready to write. Yeah, but there is a problem. It is not as easy as it sounds. So at that point, I found a how to write a memoir workshop at a local community college. And I took a class and I was given the confidence that I needed to write. However, the process took over six years and I had a lot of flashbacks and it was really rough. What did those flashbacks involve? Was that flashbacks to, to times when you'd been through that mania or through that depression? What did they look like? Yeah, it was things were coming back in my dreams. Memories were coming back when I would hear songs or just have thoughts during, during a regular day. So I would have to walk away from the writing for a while. And of course, that explains why it it took six years. What was the feeling like when you'd finally completed that book and you were able to hand it over to get out there? It was really neat. My husband was quite surprised because honestly, he didn't think I was going to finish it. But I proved him wrong. I thought that the book was going to be just for me. I never imagined anybody else was going to be reading it. But when I finished, I thought, hey, maybe this would help people. So I decided to go about finding a traditional publisher. And I was very lucky. I had a connection in North Carolina from my aunt and uncle who lived there. And I was published overnight, which was just a dream come true. And what's been the response to the book from those who have read it? I'm happy to say I have a lot of five-star reviews on Amazon. But what's even more rewarding to me is the feedback that I get from people. It's helping so many families, which I never thought that it would. People that have bipolar have written reviews and they've said, thank you, thank you, thank you for writing our story. And I was just blown away by that comment. I imagine as well as for those who are going through bipolar themselves, 
it would be for their families to try and get a handle on on what their loved ones are, are facing. That must be a great revelation for them and a comfort for those with bipolar to know that finally they've got a way to explain it to someone. Absolutely. And to know that they're not the only family dealing with this. One in five people uh, in the United States are dealing with some form of a mental illness, whether it's PTSD, anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, and so on. We have come a long way in destigmatizing mental illness, but obviously there's there's a lot further to go. What are the sorts of things that that we can do to help those with mental illness, knowing that we are sure to know quite a number of people in our own circles? How do we help destigmatize this and help people to realize it's just like any other illness? I think it just starts with what we're doing right now, a conversation, an open and honest conversation. It's just being open with people about what you live with and people being supportive and saying it's okay. You know, we all have a cross that we have to bear in our lives, whether it's bipolar or it's losing a loved one or losing a job. You mentioned that your faith has played a a big part in this journey. Tell me about your faith. I am a Christian and I was raised in the faith. It has helped me as I've journeyed through my life. It's anchored. It's sustained me. It's how I get through my days by a lot of prayer with my husband. And so that's a a day-by-day walk alongside God in in helping you. Have you ever cried out and said, God, why me? Why do I suffer with a mental illness? Absolutely. I think that's very, very common. And I know that God does beautiful things with, with scars. And that's been my answer. So that's been a way of you being able to, to come to terms and, and be at peace with, with what's happening with you, even even though you might not enjoy it at times, you understand that there's a purpose in that. And and we can see that in the way that you're helping others. Tell me about that group that you have at your church where you're helping other people. I help start a mental health support group. And we don't have a lot of that in our diocese. A psychologist and I got together and we formed a small group of people living with different types of issues. We started to meet before COVID. And then with COVID, we've had to go more to a Zoom platform. But you become a family and it's just a wonderful support. Have you started to see some of the members of that group who initially start out being very guarded, start to open up about their own struggles and to be able to talk about the things that they're facing in life? Absolutely. And it's a safe place to just share share what's going on with you. The group leads itself. It's a beautiful thing. What about for those listening at the moment? Because as you mentioned with those statistics, we know that there are people listening at the moment who are battling their own mental health issues. What would your advice be to those, especially those who are trying to to hold that back, to hide that, and just trying to deal with it on their own? Well, one thing, if you want to hear a little bit more of my story, I did a TEDx talk. Uh, Having a mental illness is not a death sentence. And in the talk, I 
mentioned that people living with this should not give up and there should be no shame in living with this. And that TEDx talk, as you say, gives you that opportunity to to speak about the things that you've experienced. It talks about the triumphs as, as well as the difficulties and especially talks about that persistence that you had to be able to continue your studies. What did it make you feel on that day that you graduated through all the difficulties, through those times of thinking, I've just got to give up? Tell me about that day of being able to graduate. It was pretty remarkable. It was a special day. I had a lot of friends and family there that came in from out of town just to attend my graduation. I was on top of the world but I didn't know what was going to happen next. And I ended up actually hitting rock bottom a couple of years later after I moved from where I went to college, Iowa to Virginia. So I experienced uh, time without my medication and the lowest low of my life. And my parents helped me and moved me here to Las Vegas where they retired. And then I rebuilt my life here in Las Vegas, almost 20 years ago now. Tell me about those early years with your husband. How did you meet in the first place? Uh, We met on a Catholic website and we ended up being the same members of the same church. So uh, we were also going to the same young adult group. And for me, it was love at first sight. It was the giddy love out of a movie. So it, it was remarkable for me. Were there times that you thought that that sort of love would never be something you would get to experience because of the mental illness? Yes, for sure. And I had, when I was in Virginia and I had hit rock bottom, I was in a toxic relationship with someone that was verbally abusing me. It was really special when I met my husband, for sure. I believe that you're also, as part of what you're, you're doing, you're a stability leader for an organization called the Stability Network. Tell me, what is a stability leader? The Stability Network is a nonprofit organization out of Seattle, and our job is to, to educate people and to break stigma, and it's giving me opportunities to work with other mental health organizations, share my story, and help train other people by my life experiences. It's just a wonderful way to network and to continue to help break the stigma. We know that you've been working in schools with young children for some time. You're, you're part of this group that was set up at the church to help those with mental illness, stability leader. So your life sounds full. If you ever do find other time within your life, what are the things that you enjoy about life these days? I love to hike. I love to spend time. We have no children. I chose not to have children because bipolar disorder is genetic, but we have a beautiful goddaughter who we love to spoil. She's 11 years old now, and we love spending time with her. I love spending time with my friends and petting my Siberian snobby cat. (laughs) We have a mutual (laughs) love of cats. (laughs) All right. I knew you were a good man, Rodney. (laughs) The the book 
as you mentioned before, you're, you're getting great response from people, you're getting reviews. Is there one particular story that stands out to you of someone who's read the book and it's made a big difference in their life? I think it was the one that I mentioned earlier already. It was, thank you for writing our story. I think that just means a lot that that they could relate to it and impacting people and inspiring people in ways that I, I never thought that it would. You've mentioned that you're involved in writing a, a monthly blog. You're also writing in other places. If people were looking to connect with you to find out more about your journey or, or even to find the book, where's the easiest place for them to find you? My website, sjohnsonauthor.com. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net. So if anyone missed that, you can certainly connect with Susan that way. What would your advice be to those who at the moment are still suffering in silence from mental illness? I would say not to have any shame about it. I would say that if you're struggling if you think that you can't go on one more moment to remember there is always light at the end of the tunnel, just hang in there and never, never, never give up because life will get better. I'm proof of that. It's wonderful to hear your story, to hear not only the, the battles that you've faced, but how you've overcome them and the support that you've had from your parents, from your husband. Uh, from those who have helped you along the way. And so wonderful to hear as well that you're taking the opportunity to to hear others. I'm sure that there'll be people that will want to connect with you and want to read through that book and, and get a, an even greater sense of, of your story or even to, to have a look at the TEDx video, which is available on YouTube and certainly on your website. But Susan, I, I want to say thank you for sharing some of that story with us today. We really appreciate that. And it's been an honor to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on and letting me share my story and helping break stigma. It's been an honor to be on your show. Thank you very, very much. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.